Harry's life connect me with part of his life. For example, when the senior officer didn't allow him to join the war because of his skin color, that connect up to part of my life. I'm a girl, I'm a Muslim, I'm a black, and I wear hijab. In our society, there are some people hate it these things about me but there are some people who love this thing about who I am and I'm proud to be a young black hijabi Muslim girl his story has some similarities to mine firstly I'm from Syria and everyone know what happened in Syria for the last 10 years it was hard to find a job also we didn't have food in our home I lived in the city of Aleppo with my family it was a very hard moment that I cannot forget I saw people dying in front of me, but I cannot say why because I will die. My dad and my mom didn't let me go to school because they were scared. They wanted to keep me safe so I did not get shot from, by the armies. On September 7, more than 1,000 kids died in schools. Now I'm in Canada and I'm safe. This, this is my country and one day I will be a famous Canadian soccer player with Canada's national team. It connects when he left his country and his family and everything he loved there. And when he was in danger and he could be bombed at any moment. And when he couldn't sleep at night hoping to be alive next morning. My grandfather was, was also a soldier. He joined the war when he was 19 years old. And luckily my grandfather was not injured as badly as Harry was. He has five children and I have five siblings. You're listening to the OCDSB XL podcast, a podcast documenting stories of powerful learning in the Ottawa-Carleton District School Board. I'm Cam Jones, your host. In part two of our series on Project True North, we turn the microphone over to students at Glebe Collegiate Institute, English language learners, who have been learning about Harry Timothy Jones, a member of the Number 2 Construction Battalion, Canada's all-black battalion from the First World War. They have been exploring Jones's service files and a collection of other primary evidence resources and the development of a narrative that spans time and place for both the learner and Jones himself. The students have been sharing Soldier Jones's story, their learning, far and wide, beyond the walls of the classroom. And, as you'll hear, the learning of history has become both personal and connected to the present as students breathe life into the memory of Harry Timothy Jones while discovering something of themselves in his story. students what's next yeah so when i talked with the students i asked them what's next and there's this beautiful moment where one of the boys goes well we got to go to new brunswick and i was like well what's in new brunswick (laughs) well harry's from new brunswick yeah yeah. and i said so like you actually want to go to no no can't go to new brunswick but we know where he lives we know his address we know what street we know his neighborhood I wonder if we could find someone who knows Harry's family. Yeah. And, I mean, you're, you're, you now have a teenage Canadian child who's also a new Canadian wandering the country looking for more clues mm-hmm. and actually going beyond the context of if this was a unit, yeah. World War I, they now want to follow Harry follow the breadcrumbs of Harry's life, but they they don't stop at just Harry's life. They want to follow the breadcrumbs of his five children, of his wife, of his mother, 
See they know happens? about his father. Yeah. Right? And, and that is a kind of um, inquiry mm-hmm. into a subject that is often uh, not lacking in life. Yeah. Yeah, it's open ended. So the idea is that the students can take it where they want to. They want to take it because it's it's inquiry and it's open ended, as opposed to the traditional closed ended classroom where people get like people will they'll get hung up on, you know, uh, how many how many soldiers uh, were a part of a battalion. People will get hung up on uh, uh, these different uh, different kind of factoids that at the end of the day aren't really that significant, but. From a traditional history point of view, that's what was made significant. Pierre Burton has uh, in his preface to the book Vimy, in the last paragraph, he talks about um, uh, when he when he's kind of talking about the, the soldiers of the Great War, and he says it's about lost potential. The great sadness is the lost potential of the youth of the nation going overseas to fight this this great war and so many of them come back maimed so many of them come back psychologically uh um harmed so many of them so many of them are dead uh uh because of the war uh the impact that it has on family and he says he just says like I mean the great catastrophe of the war is the lost potential that came out of it. And so isn't it, isn't it, it's a cool idea to be just thinking about, they, they talk about when soldiers go off to conflict, uh, go, go and put themselves in harm's way, that oftentimes it's three generations before the family is able to heal because of the, the psychology or the, the psychological impact of, of the soldier returning and the impact on the, on the immediate family. And then that family having growing up and having children and, and the residue of war that hangs on for 70 years after the war has come to its conclusion. How did he feel when he came back from the war? How will he work after the war and with only one hand? How he felt when the war ended? How did he feel when he came back home? What did Hurley do after returning from the war because his hand was wounded? Did he get paid? How did he feel when he's come back victorious? Who is Ari Timothy Jones really? We want to know what happened to him, what like happened after the war, because we learned what happened in the war and him specifically and we just wanted to learn how he went how his life went after that because we know he had one arm and he couldn't like work and do stuff so yeah yes i think that no one will give him any job because he have only one arm and he'll have really difficulties to do work for his family the reality is is that and that's what we're seeing you know with our afghan vets right now is that is that there's a pretty heavy, if you will, gunpowder residue that, that hangs over Canadian families that have been impacted by, by their, their sons or daughters or husband or wife going off, going off to war. And I, th- I don't think that that's recognized very, very much. You know? And so the, the fact that these kids want to know about the, 
you know, the grandkids in Fredericton of Soldier Jones, you go have at it, find <laughs> out, you know, and, and see if, see, you know, as a part of their next step for inquiry, do you got a photograph? Do you have a letter? How about we just, like we're doing right now, how about we're just going to have a conversation? Because the kids are have that empowered moment to say, you want to know something about them? I can help you. And in fact, they've made contact with some of Harry Timothy Jones' family. That's awesome. Um, and, are, and are beginning to have those conversations. Right? And I just think, you know, again... When we talked about this project in abstract, I thought, oh, if it happens once, it'd be, it'd yeah. be great. This is one class of yeah. approximately 15 in our board. Mm-hmm. Just one example of this, of this already in place. We've only been doing the project for six weeks. Yeah. Right? All these stories sit there and they wait. It's, you know, it's like they're just under the, just under the topsoil. And all, all it requires is somebody to go along with a rake or a hoe and just kind of disturb the soil a little bit hmm. and, and see what germinates. That, you know, I think that that's, that's, really what this is, that's really what this is about. And as a teacher, you get out of the way. You know, because the, the other element to this is it, it changes what it means to be teaching. And at that point, I'm just simply facilitating their drive to take this in different directions and you just have to simply shift gears or wear different hats depending on the direction that they want to go in. John Meacham, U.S. historian journalist, talks a lot about history as storytelling. Hmm. So the power of storytelling, of the storyteller and the story itself. And, you know, I'm thinking back to that image that you just brought to the conversation about this, this residue, right, that we need to, we kind of need to acknowledge right and and more importantly that our students need to have the opportunity to acknowledge and question and think about and and Meacham says to a to this idea of why history he says because it's the only data set we have about where we are and where we should go it is the story of great nobility and our worst derelictions and so if we don't draw lessons from the moments of great nobility and warnings from the terrible derelictions then we confront the present and the future without sufficient arms. Hmm. It seems to me that that quote lends itself to this conversation because one of the things that we're doing is finding our students within a narrative, allowing them to find themselves within a narrative to understand what it means to be a Canadian citizen in the 21st century. Yeah. Right. And I'm wondering if maybe that's something that you've thought about, like how this approach to learning history. Yeah. Is this not what education is supposed to be like? You know, this idea that, so, you know, if you think about this notion of an experiment, you know, and, and an experiment is to, to figure out what is not known. And then through a course of action, whether it be the, historical methodology, whether it be through the scientific method, whether it be through the process of a, a, let's say, of an essay writing, whatever it may be, that you then, based on that process, come up with a product or a reaction, if you will, for science. Um, And that that's what learning is. Learning is about um, stepping into the fray, 
stepping into the unknown, which is the focus oftentimes is with, is with the students. But there's another reality there. And that, that reality is that you have, it takes a teacher that's willing to step into the fray about, I don't have all the answers to this, but together we're going to try to figure this stuff out and we'll all be okay. And we might come across something that is known or we might come across something that is unknown or we might even come across something that's controversial, you know? And I think when we get into, the, you mentioned before the social justice issue, oftentimes when you're working with evidence, it does get controversial, which, you know what? We are confronted by controversial issues every day. So should our students not be well, not well-versed in, in the controversy itself, but in, in looking at controversy, trying to make sense of why there is a controversy, trying to find, figure out where they are in terms of their values and beliefs within that controversy? I think that that actually makes better citizens of a country that are better armed uh, and more well-versed so that when they, when they, as adults, they are confronted by these adult decisions that need to be made, they've had some practice. They've actually had to work with, whether it be evidence or other people or interviews or finding family members and how they felt or how, how, they, how they have been impacted by this war, you know, whatever it might be, that they are, they are better prepared for the 21st century, as you were mentioning earlier, so that they can be better and more productive citizens. And that and so, so the the idea that that the teacher has to be willing to do this, you know, the role that you take within your school board that 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 you have to also be willing to take, if you will, the, the educational risk that that the lens of this learning, this type of learning, um, has has some unknowns that are in it, and that that's okay, that it's a little bit messy. That's okay, um, and and the idea that that you might be left with, you might be left with. Well, I really don't know what I think now. Is not a sign that there's a problem. That's a sign that there's growth and reflection upon where you were when you entered into this process, and where you are coming out of this process. Because if you start questioning or wondering about your own values or what where where do my values come from or why do I believe in what it is that I believe in I don't think that's a problem I think that that's good growth and for young students is that not what you would want to have one of the students actually said to me in our conversation um with the assumption that I actually had this to offer um you know we really want to see Harry Timothy Jones. So could you please give us the photograph? <laughs> um, we had a picture full of soldiers. We didn't see his picture. We would love to see it. If I could add one experience to my learning, it would be some pictures, pictures of his family, of him, and of his harm. I don't have a photograph. I don't know if there is a photograph. Yeah. You would like to see, I would like to see him too. And I think what's, what's, you know, so important to acknowledge when you're working with evidence in this way is that these kinds of incidents happen all the time. Yes. And there's something really profound about the entire room acknowledging there isn't a shortcut here. 
we can't like okay we've been yeah. playing with evidence yeah. Yeah. okay let's take back the the yeah. screen here's the photograph that we've been holding back from you you know yeah. a big reveal mm-hmm. that's not how this kind of storytelling works there may not be a picture and that I of think, harry timothy jones i think it's as you say like i mean that i think that's that's life and that's the vast majority of of when you're working with evidence that that the stories have gaps in them Mm-hmm. Right. And and so the challenge that these students have is that they're probably used to the idea that they are only fed the stories where the gaps have been filled in. Right. So so they get this sanitized version of what history is supposed to be about. There's no problems. It's easy. Look for the dark. Look for the boldened word in the in the textbook text and whatnot uh, so that you can come away with two or three Jeopardy questions that you can commit to memory that at some point. 30 years from now, if you can recall it, you know, good on you for doing that kind of thing. Or, or yeah, have it where they're, they're actually doing something with purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Because it goes back to this idea that when, when this, the students that you've been interviewing or this class is finished, there is then the opportunity of another next step, another tentacle, if you will, of the work. And that is, so what do we now do with the work that we, with the research that we have? What do we want that to look like? Do we want to create a vlog, a blog? Do we actually want to just uh, try to create a small book on the soldiers that we have done? Um, do we want to turn it into a documentary for our learning? And now I'm in multiple different classes now. I'm no longer in history class. I'm in media arts class. I'm in civics, as we were talking about earlier. I'm in, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm in something that might be if, uh, for videography, or maybe let's say if I want to create a documentary, or maybe I want to do something that's got some uh, some software attached to it, like a website or, or whatever it might be. Those are opportunities that you don't have in a more traditional classroom because that traditional classroom doesn't facilitate that open-endedness of what do we want to do with what we have now? And what you were just saying about they want that photograph, they're hungry. They want more. How often do you, how often do you see students in a, in a history classroom that are talking about wanting more of, of their class that comes from their class? They're, they want more from their research and they're actually upset because there is a gap in their work and they want to close that gap. So who is he as a person? Um, does he have children? How old is he? Where is he from? Does he like sport? Who is he? I would like to ask about his family. What caused him to, do, to go to the war? Whether his family approve of his joining the army. I was wondering what's the real reason for him joining the war? Why does he want to go to the war? Why did he join the army? And is it good or bad for him that he lies about his age? War is sad, so I would work at another job. Now they are working exactly. Without knowing what it looks like to fill that gap. You got it, yeah. Right? And what I love about what you just said is you're now imagining what it looks like to do the discipline of history. Yes. And it doesn't look like sitting at a desk and reading the gaps that have been filled. Okay. I understand it. Let's move on. Yeah. Right. It is, I research, I write, I ask questions, I interview, I might get interviewed. I might make a film. I might write a book. I might write an article. You're you're talking about what it actually looks like. 
yeah. to do this work. And the students are actually doing it and driving it just as anyone would mm-hmm. within that discipline. And you know, like, so we, we were just talking about textbooks. So think about this idea of, of you, so you change the nature of the work that you do around a textbook. So don't get rid of your textbooks. Use your textbook, but you interrogate the textbook. Mm. What photos in a chapter are, are given the greatest prominence? You know, because space is everything. So a photograph that's given three quarters of a page. Why do they give three quarters of a page? How much space in a in a in a textbook chapter? You know, let's stick with the Great War theme. How much of it is actually given to women? How much of it is given to Indigenous? Why is the focus always on battles? Hmm. Right, and a lot of there's a lot of narrative dominance and narrative controlling about what it is that we want to teach our kids. So why don't we actually, let's stop feeding them these preset, carefully constructed narratives that are designed to foster a specific set of values and beliefs that they're supposed to hold on to. And why not interrogate the textbook for how it is designed, what is emphasized, because space on a page in a textbook is prime real estate. You know, the old adage, location, location, location. So the idea is in, in 10, 10, 15 pages in a chapter, how much is dedicated to this aspect of the Great War? You know, how much is, how much is given to battles? How much is given to, you will always find what I, what I think is this token element of, of in, the indigenous soldier, you know, kind of thing. Why don't you really get into the evidence work and then figure out in terms of that, what's in the chapter, whose voice is missing? Hmm. Whose voice is getting heard as these students are given this textbook? Whose voice is missing? And if you were to, if you were in charge of writing that chapter after doing some extensive evidence research, what would you add to the chapter and what would you omit? And how do you then determine in a, from a textbook company point of view, What's the more significant elements that you have to add and what do you cut? Yeah. And that's, that's really what it's about. And it's all about getting that cognitive dissonance that you want students to go through because I don't think people, I just don't think that we give our students enough opportunity to wrestle with how manufactured our education is. For a specific purpose and a specific outcome. Sorry, I just had done that. And that's controversial in itself, Cam. Sorry. <laughs> I thrive in this part of the conversation. <laughs> uh, I certainly get energized by it. So here's what I'd like to do. We have a process. Most of our listeners will not know the process at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we can we can try to do two things at once. I want listeners to understand what the process is that the students are going through. Sure. And I'm hoping that we can connect some of that process to the big six thinking concepts of historical thinking. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, from start to finish, what does the process look like? And if you can periodically just sort of make that connection to 
And here's a historical thinking concept that's embedded within that step. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so let's start. So we'll start with evidence. Okay. So because that's that's what that's what about the bulk of this is. So the students they uh, through library and archives, uh, um, the service files. So every soldier has about a, on average about forty eight pages within their service file. Uh, so the students actually uh, download the service file. And they work through the service file as part of their evidence work. Inside, inside the, the service file, they are forced into issues of significance. What is, what is important that's contained within this file that I need to be able to pull out of the file that I will then use in however I want to, however I want to communicate my findings about this soldier. So as they work through evidence, they are then inside significance. I'm really interested to hear, what did you learn about Harry? Full name was Harry Timothy Jones. Harry Timothy Jones. He's a man born in Canada. He born in Canada on July 25, 1886. He was born on July 24, 1974. He had dark eyes, dark hair, and a little skull on, on his shoulder. His wife was Mother and me. His wife was Maud Jones. He had five children. So that has five children. And he had five children. Harry had three daughters and two sons. He lived with his mother, his wife, and his children. And a wife, and also he lives with his mom. His father died, but his mom was alive, and she lived with Harry. I learned that Harry was a Canadian black laborer. We learned that he was a son, a father, a laborer, a husband, a black man, and a soldier. We know that he was brave, that he born in Canada on July 25, 1886. But when he joined the army, he declared that he was born in 1874. From the documents, we know that uh, he resided in 10 City Road, St. John's, and me. His wife was Maud Jones. Oftentimes within these files, and I'm not being specific to the number two, but oftentimes inside these files, if you're looking at a soldier that is a killed in action soldier file, the date of enlistment becomes important uh, and the date of death becomes important. And so you have, you then have this, this idea of I'm now gathering my, my nuggets, if we will, or my clues, if you will. When I'm doing this, and the reason that I, I look, you look at the date of enlistment and the date of death is that that can be essentially become the bookends to their military career, their military life. And so inside my bookends, I then look at more often than not, these soldiers are killed during a battle. Now suddenly, because of the date of death that's inside the service file, now suddenly a battle becomes relevant. So now I'm into, oh... I'm not just getting stuff thrown at me. I now have a context to the evidence, the, the, the dates and the evidence that's inside the file. So the date of death then becomes important. So then I'm looking at, I'm looking at issues of not just significance and I'm not just working with evidence anymore. Once I have the date of death, I can take a look at, well, what is the impact on the family? Why does a soldier enlist? The traditional sense would tell you, well, they, they enlisted for nationalism and patriotic reasons. Really? Do we actually know that? Or is that this, is that this blank 
uh, uh, this uh, card that we always play to say that, yeah, well, everybody that enlisted, they did so, uh, you know, to defend the king and empire kind of thing. Maybe they just needed a job. Maybe they wanted three square meals and a roof over their head. Maybe they were unemployed. Maybe they were looking for the consistency of pay that as a laborer, they might not get in the seasons of Canada where they might be employed for two seasons and be unemployed for the other two seasons and looking for looking for money, greater stability kind of thing. So at that point, now I'm into the ethical dimension because now I'm trying to ascertain the values and beliefs by which that soldier might enlist. Because he wanted to join the war and he didn't have enough money to like, he was a laborer, so he didn't get, he didn't used to get enough money to feed his family. So that's why he lied to his age and said 33, because he wanted to join the war and get more money to feed his family. I think um, the, the, his job before the war was labor, so he couldn't do his job before the war with one arm, so he could feel sad, and like he he could he could also get like more um, training to get his job before. The question is. After like letters on and years on, on does he find a job or he didn't work? So who get the money for the family? Who feed his family? I think the most powerful thing that when he tried to join the army, knowing that his life is going to be in danger. The premier results helped me to learn history in a different way from learning in my other classes because I learned more about what happened in the past 100 years ago and, w- and what life was like before 100 years ago. The primary sources is really important because you will know the truth, the real truth of Harry and not what other people thought, how the story is. And it's really different from other subjects because it is it, this is a real story, so you can know so you can know how his life really was and who he is. I also learned how inflation affected Canada families and its veterans. Does a soldier cam who is eighteen years of age enlist for a different set of reasons than a soldier who is forty? Hmm. So now again, I'm in I'm into ethical dimension. I'm. I am playing around with significance. Uh, what, is, what is the impact on the family? Well, that's cause and consequence. You see, you see how the, 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 it just naturally unpacks itself because I'm working with evidence. And that's the beauty of when you work with evidence and that you are familiar with the concepts for historical thinking. It's like that movie, A Beautiful Mind. As you're working through evidence, you just see these things emerging in the air around, around you. They say, oh, that's continuity and change. And if we're talking with the number two construction battalion and, and, the, and the obstacles that these soldiers were confronted with a century ago. Uh, it might be that if you want to, as some of you, you said some of your students are looking at um, uh, the ethical dimension, values and beliefs at the time, and what is the impact on the family? All of that comes out of the service file. I still wonder what happened to Harry after you went home. Was he able to find a job and keep supporting his family with the basic necessities after the prices had doubled? How did he feel when he came home after getting hurt? Does the present-day family know about his story? I believe we could only find answers to those questions by contacting his family, and this could only happen if we make his story recognizable. Harry couldn't find a job, so what did he do for a living? And are Harry's, Harry's children still alive? 
So if yes, how do they feel about their father? If they don't know about him, we should like we can tell them, and then if they know it, we can like get more information about what happened after the war. Like I think like it's great like that we learn about Harry and we learn like about someone like who lived like about like hundred years ago. That's like it's good like for us. I think like um, his family didn't know anything and this story and we know like it's so different that other people know but his family doesn't know. So if we see like his grandsons and like his children, we can tell what Harry, who's Harry Jones and what he went through during the war. Because his story is very important for the people, for the upcoming people to know and to learn it because of how racist Canada was in 1916 and the in between the black people and white people in the war. And it's also important for his family to know this may, his, grandchild, his grandchildren to know and to learn what, import, what happened to their grandfather. Then once the student is done with the service file, every battalion has a war diary, which has a what's called the DO, the daily orders. Oftentimes they will have the order of operations that you'll find at the end of each month, and then the narrative of operations. And so a student can actually begin to piece together in great detail what happens to that soldier. And then if you have, let's say, a date of death, you now have a portal of time where you can then use the war diary to find out, well, how does the soldier die? Which then takes me back to my Remembrance Day ceremonies when if you stand at a Remembrance Day ceremony and they're reading off the names, do you even know where they were killed, how they were killed, where they are buried? They're just a name etched in cold stone and that's all that they have become. Hmm. And we have this rote process that we go through that every November 11th we have to stand there but we really, we really, I don't think, have done a really good job when we say we need to honor these soldiers that were killed. Really? So we show up for an hour and you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that can tell you anything about who's on that cenotaph. Right. Right? So we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to, if we can, write that historical wrong, which I believe exists. And so the war diary really gives you that detail about what is, what is happening. In the war, he had to work as a construction worker, and the construction worker had to cut down the trees to make the ladders for the fighting soldiers so they can go over the top, and they had to defuse landmines. He joined the war on September 4, 1916, and he was put in the number two construction battalion in which they had to build roads, railways, bridges, and defuse landmines. But uh, he was in the second battalion that was made up by only black soldiers. He joined the war on September 4, 1916. But when he joined the army, he declared that he was born in 1874. His job before the war was labor, and his job in the war was cutting trees for the trenches. One day he was chopping off a tree in France when the tree fell over him. One day as he was cutting the trees for the for the trenches, his arm, the tree fell on his arm and his arm couldn't move. Living a lifetime injury on his left arm, he was sent home after being in an English hospital for about two weeks. He was able to return home safely. However, his life after that was really difficult. 
in terms of the number two construction battalion that Project True North is working on, you also have this gold mine of the uh, uh, the court martials, courts martials uh, uh, trials that are there because so many of the of the black uh, soldiers of the number two have have court martials, courts martial issues. Um, and so we have that primary evidence document documentation as well, because Library and Archives actually holds all of the uh, notes and transcripts and court records from those courts martials. Like that's sweet. It's unfortunate that the soldiers went through it, but from a student researching this a hundred years later, I'm now layering my evidence documentation. And again, the student has to go through all of those concepts for historical thinking in every evidence package set that they have. That he in the field on nine six eighteen, so for June, June ninth, nineteen eighteen, mm-hmm. wounded Private F. Bowers, Number Two Canadian Construction Company, with a clasp knife, <sighs> with intent to do him some grievous some grievous bodily harm. So hold on a second here. Did it just say that Bowers was admitted to the hospital with a stab wound? Yes. Uh, I'm just looking. But Dolmers has a stab wound from four months earlier. That's in Mm -hmm. his record. Well, so there's actually two offenses here, Blake. That, That says, it says... That's the first charge, and then it says alternative charge. So I just want to pull the camera back for a second so folks understand this. So the students log in to Library and Archives and find this service file and download it. Correct. They also have access to the war diaries. The census. The census. All these documents that take the individual and place them in a larger context. Mm -hmm. We also have the Reverend White's uh, personal diary. So, as an example, when I'm doing research on a soldier that I researched named William Boone, the service file is pushing me to understand where William Boone's experience is in the context of the number two. I'm using the war diary. Mm-hmm. When he gets ill, he gets hospitalized. Now I'm looking at Reverend White's diary. Yeah. Reverend White, on the days where leading up to Boone's death, is writing about the fact that he's going to see Boone in hospital and Boone is getting more and more ill mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Right? Um, you're helping me ask questions and facilitate places that I can go to track more information. So to your point, later on, we go to the census records. Mm-hmm. One of the things we come across, not unlike the students uh, that we, we spoke to before our conversation, that there's actually a discrepancy William Boone's birth date and the date that he gives upon enlistment, there's a 10-year difference. Mm -hmm. In fact, when we eventually talk to his family, people don't know how old William Boone was when he he enlisted. Yeah. And do we we use the the date as represented on his, uh, I guess it was a census at the time in the the southern U.S.? Mm -hmm. Is that date accurate? Or is the date that he gave accurate? How do we figure that out? It's great problem solving, isn't it? It is. And is that not where you would want students to be as they work through this, where they they have to make a decision about this? Where do we go? Where does the evidence lead me? Hmm. Right, Because the evidence has to lead. You can't lead the evidence. 
And yeah, like I, yeah. So what's interesting here is just some context. When he signed up for the war, he said his birthday was July 25th, 1874. And then later on in medical um, records, it says later on that his birthday is July 25th, 1884. And then it says his birth date was 1886. And so it's interesting to see, we don't know whether or not he lied and said he was younger so he could get care after he got hurt. But that's that's uh, a little bit to explain uh, what we're talking about. Interesting. And so I think what we're talking about there is, is sort of the experience as it was designed, mm-hmm. right? Um, designed f- fully aware that these files have not been opened for a hundred years. So where, once the file is open, the experience is no longer being designed, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's becoming. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that students are prompted to do as they go from the service file and start to track the information in our data portal Yeah. to, to sort of help them prompt them to ask questions that they might not see within this primary evidence. Well, you just, so you just said it. And that is, so another skill set that is, that is in our curriculum is how do you work to formulate questions that emerge when you are actually working with evidence? So then, so flip this upside down. And that is if your students are not working with evidence, how do you give them the opportunity to formulate questions that emerge from evidence? So the idea here is that, no, put the evidence there. The teacher can have some questions that they might want to ask, you know, the students. They might be closed-ended or open-ended questions. Inquiry lends itself better for for open-ended questions. But the ultimate goal is that as the student becomes more comfortable with the files and the files get a little bit of air in the lungs of, of, of the soldier that they're researching, that questions emerge. Nuggets or clues come off the page. Well, what about this? You mentioned the idea for Boone that there was a 10-year discrepancy. Okay, so the question for me then is, so what, what, what is his correct age, you know, if that's what I want to focus on? And where might I find evidence that will either support him being this age, 40 years of age, let's say, or him being this age, 30 years of age? And so when the student actually formulates the question and then says, okay, how do I or where will I be able to find uh, evidence that might help me answer that question, that then might lead them to, oh, I wonder what it says in the census records. And do the census records corroborate what the service file is giving me? Hmm. Or does it compound the problem, which simply means that the student isn't doing something wrong? And I, I, I keep coming back to that, and that is that I think oftentimes we live in a in an educational format in our society that if kids are asking questions, then, then something is wrong. And I think maybe we have to turn that upside down and say, if students in your class are actually beginning to ask questions about things, then you're doing something right. I have one question that I didn't get the answer. So one one question that I have is why were people why were Canadian people being racist to black people? That's the one question that I have. Like there is a reason behind it. Like you can't just being rude or being racist to people like you just you have different color. So that's 
that's the question that I have. Because they're trying to figure out, make sense of the, of their learning. And why do we think that it, that that learning has to come to a conclusion in a 40-minute time frame or a 70-minute class time frame? Maybe it'll take them two days, three days, and then they have that aha moment where they go, I got it. <laughs> I got it now. Right? And I think it, like... I think for teachers, there, there might be a bit of arrogance that, well, it has to happen in my class. I, I think that authentic learning or real learning that, that, that takes place might happen while you're going home on a bus and the kid is reflecting about what it is that they've gone through in the class and they come to that answer and then they've got it. I think that that's a more genuine learning process than having some sort of Jeopardy question that, that, you know, that they can answer at some point. Well, I think any adult would concur, right? You, you, you don't, you don't, um, things don't happen in a linear way. Yeah. You're, you're in the process of a day and mm-hmm. then you're on a walk at night and you're listening to a podcast or, a, or, a, or a song that has nothing to do seemingly with your day and you hear a line and all of a sudden to your, to your, uh, uh, reference to beautiful mind, everything starts to come together and you're like, Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, you said this earlier too, that's, we, we almost rob students of that opportunity when we give them a pre-filled narrative that has no gaps. That's right. They assume that, oh, so everything happens in a linear fashion. Yeah. There's right and wrong. There's power and not. There is no yeah. gray. There's a single narrative that defines an event, mm-hmm. you know? It, yeah, and I think that that's, I think that that's the value of history. It, it, I, I, if history is done properly, it's where you find yourself in the learning of history. I, I go back to this, you know, the students that are very interested in, in wanting to know about the family. I'd be very interested to know about their experience as new Canadians and the challenges that were con- that confronted their family, siblings, parents, and is this simply a way that they relate the connection that they have to this? And if that's the case, then you're inside a classroom that is relevant to the lives of those students, and you're doing it through a hundred-year-old document. I want to visit the trench that Harry stayed in. I want to feel the atmosphere that Harry felt also. I like to meet Harry's children if they are alive. And I want to listen to his story. Harry's life connect me with part of his life. For example, when the senior officer didn't allow him to join the war because of his skin color, that connect up to part of my life. I'm a girl, I'm a Muslim, I'm a black, and I wear hijab. In our society, there are some people who hate these things about me, but there are some people who love this thing about who I am. And I'm proud to be a young black hijabi muslim girl his story has some similarities to mine firstly i'm from syria and everyone know what happened in syria for the last 10 years it was hard to find a job also we didn't have food in our home i lived in the city of aleppo with my family it was a very hard moment that i cannot forget i saw people dying in front of me but i cannot say why because i will die my dad and my mom didn't let me go to school because they were scared 
they wanted to keep me safe so I did not get shot from by the armies. On September 7, more than 1,000 kids died in schools. Now I'm in Canada and I'm safe. This this is my country and one day I will be a famous Canadian soccer player with Canada's national team. It connects when he left his country and his family and everything he loved there. And when he was in danger and he could be bombed at any moment. And when he couldn't sleep at night, hoping to be alive next morning. My grandfather was, was also a soldier. He joined the war when he was 19 years old. And luckily, my grandfather was not injured as badly as Harry was. He has five children and I have five siblings. And I asked them, with an intent, who would you like to share your learning with? And my, this was actually, this was, an, this was a loaded question because what I'm trying to do is push them towards sharing this story beyond the classroom. Yeah. Every single student responded, well, I shared it with my parents. I wanted them to know about Harry Timothy Jones. Yeah. I've shared this story with my family, especially my mom. And she was super shocked by the fact that we, they found a baby from 1916. And it was a shock for me, for her and me also. Also, I would like to share his story with my grandpa. Right. And if we just pause for a second, as a parent of a teenager, I would love to know more than, how was your day? Good. And here's some students who are learning about a human being in class and going home to share that story with their parents. Yeah. Right? I think in part because they see themselves in Harry Timothy Jones. I think they see their family in Harry Timothy Jones' Mm -hmm. family. And they see that. I got to tell you about something I'm learning about in school right now. Yeah. Right? And what I'm doing is relevant and it's important. I'm doing important work. The history is different from the rest of my other classes because history talks about what uh, like a hundred years ago and there are stories of many people like Harry. History is an interesting thing. I think he wouldn't be in the textbook because nobody knows about like what he went through or nobody knows about his story. Same thing. I think the he wouldn't be in the textbook because people don't know the real truth of how his life was because we found the files of he that he wrote in 100 years ago. So I don't think he would be in the textbook and the thing the important thing that he should be in the textbook if the people would like find the files and read more about him so that other people can know him. I would like to share this story with the rest of schools in Ottawa. I think it's really important and it gives a point of view of what it was like being a black soldier back in 1914. I would love to share this story with the world. Uh, and I know how powerful this story is. I would l- also like to share this story with his family that lives in this generation so they know the life of their grandfather. I would like to share it with Harry's family. And I want to share it with Harry personally so he knows that he's a great person and he become part of history. Uh, the powerful of, of this project is the lesson that we can learn from this uh, the life of Henry. And again, I think that it, I mean I, I, of course I I'm, I'm I'm biased towards this, but my my experience with it is 
class after class after class is is that these students will say, "I love this," and can I do can I do another one? Can I do another soldier? Because what I just experienced with that was great, and I and I really don't want to turn that tap off. You know, and just like you, you can do, what do you want to do? Um, one experience I would add would be to know about others who wanted to go to war. I want to read more soldiers at the station paper. By doing this, I will learn more about soldiers in World War One. You know, and I and I've done that before with students. Where you just say, okay, but what you, how you actually decided you wanted to communicate your findings, I want you to think about if you want to do a second one, how you're going to communicate it in a different way. Like, and I'm not I'm not pushing them to do that but that I'm pushing them to think about that there's more than one way for us to communicate findings than through, let's say, an essay or whatever. We are about to land people on Mars. Surely to God, we can go beyond an essay. (laughs) That we have a bigger repertoire of, if you will, I kind of hate this saying, but tools in the tool belt uh, to have a wide variety of methods by which we can communicate. Much like what we're doing right now, a podcast, right? Well, and, I, and, I, and I think it comes back to capacity again, right? Easy. By the power of internet. It will be like grateful. Like you can do YouTube videos to share the story and maybe the people can see it and share it with your friends. And then friends can share with all their friends. And then that's how it goes. That's the power of internet. <laughs> um, we can put, if we found his picture, we can put in the social media or we can put his name and his story in the social media so his family knows, so they can tell us and tell all the people to share to the world. So like Khalid said, we'd like to share the story in social media so many people can know about Canada and the history of Canada because people like don't know. They know just their cultures and their country what it was. So I would like to share on social media sometime. It will be good to people knows about his story. I used to listen to broadcasts, but now people listening to me, but so powerful, scary. Just before you walk away there, Miss McIntyre, am I hearing right in, in, in that you're saying you've sort of watched other content created by other people, but now you're creating content and on the radio and on TV and on a podcast. Did I hear that right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the first time being in a podcast and I used to watch other people's and YouTube's doing like podcasts, but right now people listening to me and the story that we were sharing with my class. Because you actually have these students as they now cover a hundred years of history in Canada, they want to know what's happening to Harry as they move through time. Yeah. Uh, They know when Harry dies because it was updated within the service file, not during the war, Mm -hmm. after the war. But then they want to know what happens after that. And so now we're getting into the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And they're attuned to, there's this family that I care about and I want to see them yeah. in this period of time as well. So sure, teach me about this, this maybe, you know, um, wider focus, but I still want to go back and figure out what's happening in New Brunswick yeah. with, with the Jones yeah. family. Address. Yeah. Yeah. We can start from this point, I think. 
Or you can go to New Brunswick and ask more ideas that you don't have in the documents. Do I drive there? Get out of the car. No, don't drive there and say, uh, who is no about here? No, no. <laughs> Just go and, uh, like, where he lives that we learn. So we go to the house. Yeah. We knock like, on the door. Yeah, or only the street, you know. Maybe they will know Harry was here. He go to the washroom one day. So you can learn more idea. That's true. Yeah. Talking to people is how you learn about history, right? That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you were asking me earlier about, you know, the different facets. And that, that's why the, the, the newspaper element to all of this, it becomes that important element. When they return, well, how does Canadian society react? Right. What's happening in the 1920s? Um, and so students actually get to work with uh, uh, newspapers from different newspapers from across the country uh, to figure out what, what is happening in terms of this issue around race in Canada. Because we have this notion that we are this, you know, this welcoming, everybody is equal, you know, in Canada. And, and, and where does that narrative come from? Uh, and who pushes who pushes that narrative? And then you've got these these newspapers and you've got these stories that, that come out of, of, you know, soldiers of the number two coming back to Canada and much like the indigenous soldiers, women, when looking for a greater voice within Canadian society and the struggle is still there after the war, much like it was before the war kind of thing. And in fact, in some cases, you know, you, you get into, you get into the, the Ku Klux Klan and, 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 the, and the growth of the Ku Klux Klan in Canada in the 1920s and the 1930s. And how do you reconcile what's going on and the stories that come out of the newspapers with, with the narrative that we are this great nation of equal citizens? And then you add that the students have access to multiple academics out of the Gregg Center at UNB. Yeah. To ask questions to. So when they feel like they're stuck and they're not really sure what to do next. Yeah. They have these folks to, to speak to. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting and, and it really it, it connects to what we've been talking about in the student experience for the educator experience as well is, is these stories start to get out. So we have students talking about the research mm -hmm. they're doing about Harry Timothy Jones that leads to multiple new connections for the project. Uh, Bob Dawson, mm -hmm. um, who uh, is a, an Ottawa writer, mm -hmm. uh, reached out to tell us about the Colored Hockey League yeah. out of the East Coast. He's starting to make connections to Marcus Garvey, to Africville, yeah. um, that, that, again... I think we had an inkling that at some point the project marts might start to make contact in this yeah, way. Yeah. Um, Chris White, who is the Reverend's the Reverend White's, mm -hmm. um, I guess, great grandson, um, whose cousin is Anthony Sherwood, who gave us access to the yeah. the um, the journal. Yeah. Um, reached out upon hearing these students mentioned a song that he'd written about his uncle. I preached the word for years and then the great war came around and I became a chaplain overseas. We were a separate regiment, they kept us 
us far apart Said mixing black and white would be a shame But Jesus is my witness When I saw the fighting start The color of the blood was all the same Right, and so you you have this this really interesting connection between a history and contemporary times mm-hmm. stemming from students just wondering about a person yeah and what happened to them yeah right and i think we have i think for the for the colored hockey league now i there is i believe i think there's 18 Soldiers from the number two construction battalion. We've essentially we've got a, we've pretty much got a class set now, which is a, again. So we have you know uh, uh, intended and unintended outcomes, and this is the other beautiful thing about evidence is that an unintended outcome was oh we had several soldiers from the number two that were also members of the colored hockey league. We had several. We had several soldiers who join the colored hockey league after they come back from the war and we have several soldiers or yes soldiers that uh after after the war their children in the in the late 20s and 30s are members of the colored hockey league so you right so you've got this larger connection that takes place in these different elements i like i mean the one thing i like i mean i'm gonna go on a road tour here at some point and I want to go down to south, uh, southwestern Ontario. I like. I mean, I want. I want to head over to uh, Nova Scotia. I want to see where the um, uh, the black community was in uh, uh, in New Brunswick, Montreal, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vancouver. I mean, there's. I I think that there's. There are these again that that field that's got some topsoil there, and in those communities to spend some time and just scrape things off and see what you can find because it, it's all there it's just a matter of finding it putting it into a workable format and then letting students have a go at it yeah. that it's risky whenever you step outside of the conventions of, of what is viewed as traditional education it's it's risky but there's not really anything at risk all you're risking is wanting to learn something that maybe nobody has looked at before or learn about something that nobody has really looked at before and why again why are we so risk adverse to the warts and wrinkles of evidence research and now I feel the end thanks thank you this was fun yeah. My parents in Virginia lived in slavery, claimed their freedom in the Civil War. The seventh of nine children, I'm the first who was born free on June the 16th, 1874. I got some education. And I thought I could go far If I could let my learning lead me forth And then one of my teachers, Miss Helena Blackadar Suggested that I study in the North I made my application to university 
the OCDSBXL podcast and our series on Project True North, a history initiative that seeks to empower students to question and disrupt Canadian history as a means to learning history and contributing a chapter to its telling. In part three, we talked to Jessica McIntyre, a history teacher at Glebe Collegiate Institute, who, learning alongside her English language learners, discovered a link between the present and the past, her students and their learning, that is changing how history is taught in the Ottawa Carleton District School. The song we are listening to is William Andrew, written by singer-songwriter Chris Wayne about his grandfather, William Andrew Wayne, the chaplain of the number two construction battalion. When I returned to Halifax, the good Lord helped me choose to lead the big church on Cornwallis Street. In faith and hope and harmony, we spread the joyful news and tried to make the people's lives complete. My good wife, Isidora, filled my life with joy. Her music and her wisdom were my guide. She gave me 13 children, how I loved each girl and boy. And how I grieve the two of them that died. Talking about freedom, talking about freedom, talking about freedom, talking about freedom. My name is William Andrew, like my father's was before. And William Andrew is my oldest son. I'm looking back from this east coast to Africa's west shore And thinking that my life is almost done I look into the future, see my children shining bright I hope that they will sometimes think on me I pray that they will find a way to work with all their might to carry on the struggle to be free To carry on the struggle to be free Carry on the struggle to be free Talking about freedom Talking about freedom Talking about freedom Talking about freedom 